Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This is going to be a discussion of Helaman chapter 1. Helaman, it seems like just yesterday we were in Alma. All right, so the beginning of Helaman uh, starts off with a heading to the chapter that is written by Mormon. It says it gives an account of the Nephites, their wars and contentions, their dissensions, also the prophecies of many holy prophets before the coming of Christ, according to the records of Helaman, who was the son of Helaman, and also according to the records of his sons, even down to the coming of Christ, and also many of the Lamanites are converted, an account of their conversion, an account of the righteousness of the Lamanites and the wickedness and abominations of the Nephites, according to the record of Helaman and his sons, even down to the coming of Christ, which is called the Book of Helaman. So that was actually written by Mormon, translated by Joseph Smith. That wasn't written or added later. President Benson said regarding uh, the Book of Helaman um, and the Book of Mormon generally, he says, the record of the Nephite history just prior to the Savior's visit reveals many parallels to our own day as we anticipate the Savior's second coming. And so there's lots of things that are going on here that uh, I guess we better pay close attention to to see how this relates to us and see if there's things that might be going to happen in our time so that we can be ready for them and be aware of them. So let's start with verse 1. Now, now, and now behold, it came to pass in the commencement of the 40th year, so this is around 52 BC, of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi, there began to be a serious difficulty among the people of the Nephites. For behold, Pehoran had died and gone the way of all the earth. Therefore, there began to be a, a serious contention concerning who should have the judgment seat among the brethren who were the sons of Pehoran. Now these are their names who did contend for the judgment seat, who did also cause the people to contend, Pehoran, Peyanchi, and Pacumeni. Now these are not all the sons of Pehoran, for he had many, but these are they who did contend for the judgment seat. Therefore they did cause three divisions among the people. Nevertheless, it came to pass that Pehoran was appointed by the voice of the people. Um, I'm wondering if that's maybe because he's the oldest, because they mentioned him first to be the chief judge and a governor over the people of Nephi. And it came to pass that Pecumeni, when he saw that he could not obtain the judgment seat, he did unite with the voice of the people. Now that's reasonable. That's what you're supposed to do. But behold, Peanchi and that part of the people that were desirous that he should be their governor was exceedingly wroth. Therefore, he was about to flatter away those people to rise up in rebellion against their brethren. Again, this sounds like our day. Peanchi must have been a Oh, I probably shouldn't say that. Never mind. I was going to say he's a liberal Democrat, but I probably shouldn't say that. Verse 8, And it came to pass that he was about to do this. Behold, he was taken and was tried according to the voice of the people and condemned unto death. Payanchi is tried for a capital offense, not because he disagreed with the outcome of the election or because he sought to become the chief judge, but rather that he raised up in rebellion and sought to destroy the liberty of the people. His crime is what of sedition and treason. He is to be judged according to the laws established by Mosiah the second. The exact nature of the voice of the people that found him guilty and condemned him to death is not given in the text, but based on other uses of the phrase, it is either a democratic process, such as a jury of peers, or possibly a theodemocratic council of judges, as is perhaps implied by the record of the trial of Nehor. 
Continuing verse 8, for he had raised up in rebellion and sought to destroy the liberty of the people. Now when those people who, ha who were desirous that he should be their governor saw that he was condemned unto death, therefore they were angry, and behold, they, they sent one Kishkumen, even to the judgment seat of Pehoran, and murdered Pehoran as he sat upon the judgment seat. I guess he must not have had very good guards uh, around him. And he was pursued by the servants of Pehoran, but behold, so speedy was the flight of Kishkumen that no man could overtake him. And it came to pass that those that sent him, and they all entered into a covenant, yea, swearing by their everlasting maker, that they would tell no man that Kishkumen had murdered Pehoran. Um, so since Satan is the author of this secret combination, uh, it's the same one that's used by Cain. Uh, we have to keep in mind that there's no such thing as conspiracy theories, just conspiracy facts. Verse 12, Therefore Kishkumen was not known among the people of Nephi, for he was in disguise at the time that he murdered Pehoran, and Kishkumen and his band who had covenanted with him did mingle themselves among the people in a manner that they all could not be found, but as many as were found were condemned unto death. And now behold, Pacumeni was appointed according to the voice of the people to be a chief judge and a governor over the people to reign in the stead of his brother Pehoran. And it was according to his right, and all this was done in the fortieth year of the reign of the judges, and it had an end. And it came to pass in the forty and first year of the reign of the judges that the Lamanites had gathered together an innumerable army of men, and armed them with swords and with scimitars, and with bows and with arrows, and with headplates and with breastplates, and with all manner of shields of every kind. And they came down again that they might pitch battle against the Nephites. And they were led by a man whose name was Coriantumr, and he was a descendant of Zarahemla. So I wonder if he's a, a Mulekite, therefore, if he's a, a descendant of Zarahemla. In the sense, Mulekites were of the tribe of Judah. Maybe Coriantumr believed that he should be king, because Judah was given the blessing of the scepter, or to be the ruler of the people. Continuing verse 15, and he was a dissenter from among the Nephites, and he was a large and a mighty man. Therefore the king of the Lamanites, whose name was Tubaloth, uh, he was the nephew of Amalickiah, he was not a Lamanite by descent, but by wickedness, who was the son of Amaron, supposing that Coriantumr, being a mighty man, could stand against the Nephites with his strength and also with his great wisdom, insomuch that by sending him forth he should gain power over the Nephites. Therefore he did stir them up to, to anger, and he did gather together his armies, and he did appoint Coriantumr to be their leader, and did cause that they should march down to the land of Zarahemla to battle against the Nephites. The Lamanites are going to go to the center of the Nephite nation, but in doing so will be surrounded and defeated. Spoiler alert, sorry, I messed that up, didn't I? Verse 18, it came to pass that because of so much contention and so much difficulty in the government, that they had not kept sufficient guards in the land of Zarahemla, for they had supposed that the Lamanites durst not come into the heart of their lands to attack that great city Zarahemla. This is why church leaders and parents always need to be vigilant in their guarding to keep evil away. But it came to pass that Coriantumr did march forth at the head of his numerous host and came upon the inhabitants of the city. And their march was with such exceedingly great speed that there was no time for the Nephites to gather together their armies. Therefore Coriantumr did cut down the watch by the entrance of the city and did march forth with his whole army into the city and they did slay everyone who did oppose them insomuch that they did take possession of the whole city. And it came to pass that Pacumeni, who was the chief judge, did flee before Coriantumr, even to the walls of the city. And it came to pass that Coriantumr did smite him against the wall, insomuch that he died. And thus ended the days of Pacumeni. It's probably a good idea not to be the chief judge, it sounds like about this time. Verse 22, And now when Coriantumr saw that he was in possession of the city of Zarahemla, 
and saw that the Nephites had fled before him and were slain and were taken and were cast into prison, that he had obtained the possession of the strongest hold in all the land, his heart took courage insomuch that he was about to go forth against all the land. And now he did not tarry in the land of Zarahemla, but he did march forth with a large army, even towards the city of Bountiful. For it was his determination to go forth and cut his way through with the sword that he might obtain the north parts of the land. And supposing that their greatest strength was in the center of the land, therefore he did march forth, giving them no time to assemble themselves together, save it were in small bodies. And in this matter they did fall upon them and cut them down to the earth. But behold, this march of Coriantumr through the center of the land gave Moronihah great advantage over them, notwithstanding the greatness of the number of the Nephites who were slain. For behold, Moronihah had supposed that the Lamanites durst not come into the center of the land, but that they would attack the cities round about in the borders as they had hitherto done. Therefore Moronihah had caused that their strong armies should maintain those parts round about the borders. Sounds like these uh, cities that are round about are pretty far apart so that the Lamanites uh, could come into the land and not be noticed by the people that are in these uh, parts round about the borders. Verse 27, But behold, the Lamanites were not frightened according to this to his desire, but they had come into the center of the land and had taken the capital city, which was the city of Zarahemla, and were marching through the most capital parts of the land, slaying the people with a great slaughter, both men, women, and children, taking possession of many cities and of many strongholds. But, but when Moronihah had discovered this, he immediately sent forth Lehi with an army round about to head them before they should come to the land bountiful. And thus he did, and he did head them before they came to the land bountiful, and gave unto them battle, insomuch that they began to retreat back towards the land of Zarahemla. And it came to pass that Moronihah did head them in their retreat, and did give unto them battle, insomuch that it became exceedingly bloody battle. Yea, many were slain, and among the number who were slain, Coriantumr was also found. And now behold, the Lamanites could not retreat either way, neither on the north, nor on the south, nor on the east, nor on the west, for they were surrounded on every hand by the Nephites. And thus had Coriantumr pledged the Lamanites into the midst of the Nephites, insomuch that they were in the power of the Nephites, and he himself was slain, and the Lamanites did yield themselves into the hands of the Nephites. And it came to pass that Moronihah took possession of the city of Zarahemla again, and caused that the Lamanites, who had, not, who had been taken prisoners, should depart out of the land in peace. Boy, that sure is different here that the, the Nephites, even though they get beat up like this and lots of people killed, are still willing to just let the Lamanites go home. That's uh, magnanimous. Uh, in contrast to the treatment of prisoners and innocent victims of war by the Lamanites, Moronihah allows the Lamanite prisoners of war to depart in peace. Those righteous military leaders who are disciples of Christ and are filled with the Spirit of the Lord treat even their enemies with kindness and compassion. Even in most difficult circumstances such as war, the Lord expects his disciples to love your enemies, do good to them that hate you. And that was by Millet McConkie. The reason we've had peace since World War II, in spite of people always whipping up the Cold War and things like that, is the wisdom of two men, George Marshall and Douglas MacArthur. The one put Europe back on its feet, feet with the Marshall Plan instead of reparations, you see. Germany got back on its feet very quickly, and now Germany and Japan are the leading economic powers because of the wisdom of George Marshall and his plan. And the conquering hero, Douglas MacArthur, played the role of a very wise man. He could have done anything he wanted. He was the conqueror. As far as the Japanese were concerned, he was it. And what he did was to give them their democratic government. He made it possible, a man like that. There's no point in making victims reparations. <clears throat> 
there was no punishment and there weren't to be no reprisals against them at all. That's the reasons we've had a fairly sane world since then for a while. And that was by Hugh Nibley. Verse 34, and thus ended the, the 40 and first year of the reign of the judges. Uh, and so as I mentioned before, that this is translated material, and we know that Joseph Smith translated this by the power of God. The Book of Mormon is true of that I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Be thinking about how these uh, apply to us, uh, that these things that are going on among the Nephites here, the war, the war chapters, we're still having wars even in Helaman. Uh, think about how they can help us. Talk to you next time. Bye.